This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. I carried one of my sons on my back. He was so tired from walking. The path was narrow and rough over the mountain to Iraq. We had to be quiet, following closely behind the men who knew the way through. All I could think of was that I wanted my children to be safe, so I walked on and on into the dark night. Inside, I was freaking out. Every life is a journey. Some New Zealanders have had extraordinary journeys to get here. My name is Galavish and I am a Kurdish Kiwi refugee from Iran. Getting here, migration journeys to New Zealand. Sometimes the drinking water to our house was cut off. My sister and I were then sent off to collect it for our family. It was about a 15 minutes walk from our house. We walked along the main road in a medium-sized town in Iran. We passed the other brick and concrete houses in our neighborhood. Holes from the daily gunfire could be seen on the walls. This was Iran in 1980 to 1981, after the revolution. One day, we could hear gunfire close to us as we walked. Then we could see the sparks of the gunfire all around us. A bullet raced right past my face. I was so scared. My sister and I ran towards a site where a new house was being built. It had high walls we could hide behind. We crouched behind a wall and heard the bullets all around us. I saw the bullets hitting the ground really close to us. I was like 15, maybe 16 years old, but I was older than my sister, so I had to look after her. I looked over at her face. It was very pale. Her eyes were popping out of her head. She looked so scared, and I had never seen her like that before. I tried to be strong and make her laugh, but she didn't say anything. She just sat there crying softly. My sister and I had never really taken the political conflicts in Iran seriously. We were just teenagers, young women living our lives, interested in playing ball games and just hanging out with my sisters and friends. But when we hid behind the wall to avoid the bullets that day, it was as if we both realized for the first time that this was real that there were forces beyond our control that could 
destroy our youth, destroy our lives, destroy everything. After that, we walked more carefully through the world. We became scared of almost everything and everyone. The fighting everywhere, the checkpoints, the sound of gunshots in the distance, it always seemed like they were coming closer to us. The Iranian revolution meant a very different way of life for us. For Khomeini, the flight from Paris to Tehran marked the end of 15 years in exile. For the people of Iran, the arrival of his jetliner signaled the beginning of even more radical social and political changes than have already taken place. The end of Iran's monarchy came early today when Khomeini's followers took control of the palace of the Shah. Two of Iran's top generals, the commander of the ground forces, and the head of the Shah's Imperial Guards have been killed, roaming the city. Iranians continue to vote today on the new Islamic constitution, a document that legitimizes the power of the religious leaders and invests in one of them supreme powers. There's little question who that one supreme power will be, the Ayatollah Khomeini. I am Kurdish. We are sometimes called the words largest ethnic group without a country. The Kurdish people live mostly in Turkey, Iran, Iraq, and Syria, but there is no national border that is our very own. We live among the Persians, Turkish, and Arabs, but we dress differently, so we stand out. Our language is different too. Courts are often treated unfairly, the target of discrimination throughout the world. Being Kurdish is one of the reasons we had to leave Iran. My husband was a singer, a poet, and a comedian. He would travel within the Kurdish region to perform at different places. A lot of people knew him back then. He was a very good entertainer. This is a recording of my husband from the 1990s. He is a singing of Kurdish song called Watan, meaning nation. Entertainment in Iran very much controlled by the government. Some of the words he sang or plays acted in would have been seen as too political. My husband's dream was to be able to act freely, to be able to have a career as a comedian and singer without any limitations. Maybe that was another reason why he felt we all needed to leave Iran. There are many things I cannot say about why we left our country. The same government is still in power. But I can say that in 1995, it became clear that we needed to leave the country quickly. My boys were seven and eight years old. We lived quietly, telling no one, not even my own family. As we drove away from our house in a taxi, I wondered if we would ever be back. It took several hours for us to drive near the border 
to Iraq. I told the boys they couldn't speak because we didn't want the taxi driver to know who we were or that we were going to leave the country. I was so scared. I didn't know what to do, where we are going after leaving Bana. We told the driver to stop the car near a tiny village. It was late afternoon. The little town looked so peaceful. There were cows and chickens everywhere. People were busy with their chores and walked quietly. The sound of the farm's animals gave a sense of nature and cleanliness and beauty. I thought if only we could stay here and make a nice life for ourselves. But it was not what we were there for. Suddenly, I felt so sad that we were about to leave our country and leave everything behind us. I felt anxious too. We had no idea what was going to happen to our family. Most of all, I was scared for my boys. They were so young and yet old enough to remember what was happening to them. My husband asked some men in the village who the people are there that can show us the way across the border. They said that a group of traders were going tonight. However, they couldn't guarantee our safety. All they would do was help us carry our bags and we would follow them by foot over a mountain pass. They were leaving at midnight. We paid them the money and then we waited. The sun set. Every minute I grow more stressed. Darkness set in. I could hear the farm animals and birds and folks singing near the stream. It was so quiet and peaceful, and yet I sit there just holding my children close to me, never letting them stray more than an arm's reach away. I keep telling them that everything is going to be all right. Of course, I didn't know that was true. One of the traders gave us a light dinner and blanket to sleep on. We huddled together on the flat roof of a house. It was summer and really nice to rest outside. As the boys drifted off to sleep, I started to panic. Which part of my life should I be worried about the most? Leaving the country? My family, leaving my parents, my children's safety and their future, my own safety, even my future as a woman. I keep thinking that any time the government forces could find us and start shooting at us. What we were doing was illegal and many people who had tried to leave Iran had been shot at when they crossed the border. 
Finally, at midnight, a man came up to the roof and said, It's time to go. I woke the boys, pretending to be brave and tried to stay calm inside. I was freaking out. We gathered in small groups in the back of the village. There was about 15 people and 10 horses to carry goods. I was the only woman making the difficult journey on the night. The men told us to follow them closely and to use the same footsteps as they do. It was a dangerous and steep path and people could easily fall. They said we must be quiet and to walk as fast as we could. The dirt path turned up into the mountain. We began to walk. The path was rough. There was a horse carrying some of the goods that the traders would sell in Iraq. I listened to the horse's hooves hitting the ground and its breathing. The poor horses sound tired from carrying so many things. It was so dark, I couldn't see anything. I carried our youngest son on my back for a while. Up and up, we went listening to the insects, listening to the birds. All up, I think of was getting my children to a safe place and my legs, I was getting tired. My husband and I took turns carrying our son, and he tried to walk as much as he could. A man walking with us asked if he could help us carry our son, but he was from Iraq, and I really didn't know who to trust. So I said no at first, but when I learned that he was teacher and was just visiting a relative in Iran, we trusted he would be kind to the boy and agreed to let him help. We were so tired and had been walking up for hours. I had to push myself to keep putting one foot in front of the others and keep walking. At last, I could feel the path lead down and we started making the descent into Iraq. We walked on and on through the night until I could see a little light over the horizon. Dawn was coming. Everything seems a little easier in the light. It was early morning when Exhausted and aching, we finally could see a small cluster of buildings up ahead. As we drew closer, we could see it was a place to rest, to eat and even to get hot drinks. We had made it to Iraq. We stayed and rested in a, a small guest house. It was the best sleep we had ever had. When I woke up later that day, I realized that it had been the scariest and most dangerous night of my life. I have often wondered what it was like for my son on the night we escaped from Iran. Were they as scared as I was? What did they remember? 
did they realize at the time just how dangerous our walk through the night was? I asked my youngest son, Sirwan. He lives with his wife and his children 20 minutes away from our house in, in New Zealand. I can remember it was uh, quite dark um, at night time. Um, and I think, I believe we're on muleback. And uh, yeah, we're just uh, climbing through the mountains. And it's it's a quite a mountainous region. The I think it's Elbows Mountains there in our region, northwest of Iran. So um, it's quite mountainous and it's a long, long trek uphill. Yeah, and it was dark. It was nighttime. It was cold. Um, and obviously we didn't have a lot. Uh, we didn't take a lot with us. So um, it was just a long trek through the mountains at nighttime. I think when you're a child, you don't even actually think about the feeling because everything's kind of a play for you. <laughs> um, so, you know, you kind of have these uh, thoughts in your head. Where, why, you know, why are you doing this? Why, why is it happening? But the rest of it, I think, is just fun play, you know, just um, follow mum and dad, I guess. Um, you don't really think about it a lot because you're too young to know what's happening, so... As a mother, I am really relieved that my son didn't have the same experience as me that night. We applied for a temporary entry into Iraq, and we went to a small town in northern Iraq where many of Kurdish people lived. It was so hot in Iraq compared to my own country. Sometimes it seemed hard for me to breathe. It took a while to get used to this change in climate. In the Kurdish region, there were some really helpful families who guided us through living in new country with a new dialect of the Kurdish language and a very different culture from what we were used to. My boys started at a new school. They found it hard at first, but soon adapted. Back home in Iran, they had learned Farsi. But here in Iraq schools, the Kurdish language was used. I found this period really challenging because there were so many changes our family had to make. And we still weren't completely safe or even know how our lives would unfold. You see, there was a lot of political conflict in Iraq at the time too. There were two parties in the power and they were both violently battling not only each other but the Iraqi government as well. The United Nations sanctions on Iraq had made life very difficult for so many Iraqi middle-class courts. My husband found a job as a shoemaker he had never done anything like that before, but he needed to for the sake of the family. Because of the economic sanctions, not many people could afford to buy new shoes, so that had to keep getting their old ones repaired by my husband. Even though he had work, life was hard in Iraq. It was not a safe place to live. The political fights and the violence continued, and we didn't know what to do. After a few months, 
we found out how to apply to UN refugees. We really wanted to be resettled to a safe country. We went through an application process and quickly got a case number for our family. We were hopeful that this would lead to an interview soon after. When we didn't hear back, I contacted them again and again. Every time there was a surge of violence or not enough food, I contacted them again to see if they could help us try to leave Iraq. I tried to be strong for my children and do my best to get out of this situation. But it took over a year and a half before we finally got our next interview with the UNHCR. My husband came to the door of the house. He looked relaxed with a quiet smile on his face. He said, I have good news. They accepted us. We just have to wait for our flights. We were so relieved and very happy, especially about my children's safety. We thought we had been resettling in Europe. Many other Kurdish people had been sent there. But just two days before we left, we learned we were heading to New Zealand. New Zealand, all we knew about it was that it was a tiny little country in the middle of the ocean with a small population. We knew nothing else, and now it would become our new home. Winter 1998. We arrived at the Auckland airport with six other families from Iraq. We were the first group of Kurdish people from Iraq to arrive as a refugee to New Zealand. To our surprise, they took us straight to the Mangiri Refugee Resettlement Center, where we started learning English and about life in New Zealand. Everything was brand new to us. Sunrise and sunset, the weather, the money, everything. After six weeks there, they told us we would be sent to Christchurch to resettle with some of the other Kurdish families. As we arrived in Christchurch Airport, we were greeted by volunteers and other people welcoming us to New Zealand. We were so happy. We knew that this was the beginning of another chapter in our life. What our family went through when we escaped Iran to Iraq, the adoption of new language, new society, different education system, and everything else. We went through all of that all over again when we finally arrived in New Zealand. Looking back on all the challenges we faced getting to New Zealand, I see our journey as two-sided. On the one hand, it was full of wonderful people who were very kind to us. We got to live in different countries, and we learned a lot about the world. But on the other hand, we lost many good things when we left Iran. These things have been deeply missed in our life. We miss our culture, our family and friends, and so many good things about our country that we will never get back. My husband has never been able to find opportunity to continue with his music in New Zealand, so he works in a completely different field to support our family.
For me as a woman, I have been able to do things in New Zealand that women aren't allowed to do in Iran. Making a career for myself as a community worker, helping others, and making my own decisions has been a wonderful part of my experience in New Zealand. We have left the violence and the worries behind in Iran. Our two sons are grown and one of them have children of his own. We hold on to our Kurdish culture and language at home, but participate in every aspect of New Zealand life outside the home. Our family is safe here and we can plan our life and our future the way we want to. Thank you, New Zealand. Thank you for helping us to make a life where there are so many opportunities and so much peace. My story was written by myself, Galawish, and Lana Hart. I just want to say thank you so much for all the people involved in sharing our stories on the radio. The staff of Plains FM and Nikiris, the manager, the Office of Ethnic Communities, for the funding this project and for the original music Van Hart Hauptmann and my husband Kamal and also Kalamara. Uh, Thank you to my son Sirwan for sharing his memories of our family's migration to New Zealand. And a special thanks to Lana Hart for all her hard work to make it happen. You can listen to the other podcasts in this series by downloading from Apple Podcasts or uh, Spotify or from the Plains FM website and the podcasts. Search for the series called Getting Here. Zor spas bohamulek katufsati ki khoshtan bohavata khwazim khwatan lagam.